Welcome, everyone. It is The Plunge, and I need to take a shower because we just watched Lokeisha. I- I- am I pronouncing it right, Sam? Why are you asking me? <laughs> uh, I don't know, Lokeisha. It, seems, it sounds like a made-up name. You always seem to say the right thing to just the right person. What's your secret? I'm really just talking to myself. I don't charge for my advice. Well, you should, because it was amazing. I saw this, and I thought of you. You will be a hit in no time. Welcome to the Joe Show. I submitted myself to a radio station for my own show. Well, congratulations. They rejected me. Well, uncongratulations, then. You weren't right for your own show? Jason skipped it. We need to get the money for this school. 13000 a semester? That's who needs their own show. If I was a black woman, I'd be perfect. Love Lokeisha. She's brilliant. I know. Get her in here. Lokeisha gonna be the biggest thing in radio, but I still need my anonymity. You nervous? It's not a crime. It's theater. You love with Lokeisha. What's your problem? Hi, Lokeisha. It's free. Oh, I ain't talking to you not the way you sound. Next caller. You go, girl. You just be good to her. If you good to yourself, you can be good to others. But don't be too good because the police will come around. Yeah. Where did you get this? I got another job. Doing what? Consulting work. What the hell would you know about being a white guy anyway? I know quite a bit. Loquisha is a real role model for every African-American woman on this planet. Like the whole city has a Quisha mania. I am Loquisha, officer. What was that? I think I might be a black woman trapped in a white man's body. So to help us break down this absolute train wreck of a film, this racist, offensive, completely devoid of humor film, uh, we have my friend and the host of the uh, Co-Pilots podcast, Matt Greenberg. Matt, how are you? I'm good. How's it going, everyone? I told you off air, Matt, I tried to watch another movie directly after I watched Lokeisha this afternoon and my body just gave out and I took a two hour nap. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You need like a long, cold shower and then to watch something that's like like a Cannes Film Festival winner because you like any enjoyment of anything after this movie is just you just can't do it. Yeah, it's like anything you watch after this, it, it, it like divides in half. Because you're still just like reeling from watching this, I, this completely, it, it's it's a train wreck of a movie. I mean, Matt, there is a rendering error left in towards the end of the movie. Like, it didn't render right. <laughs> I don't even know, like, I get that it's mostly being hosted through Amazon Prime and really nowhere else as far as I understand it. But... I feel like there's got to be some kind of quality control there where someone's like, you know, literally a shot of your movie is missing. And I guess nobody cared. Or if they did see it, they just kind of were like, yeah, it's part of the artistic value of the project. The one thing keeping me going after watching this movie is the like thought that probably very few people are actually going to watch this movie, if any, aside from the three of us, obviously. Yeah, other than the podcasters who will be roasting this movie, I I can't imagine too many people are going to get through it. Now, okay, let's 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 set the table here. Before you say anything here, I just want to make it extremely clear, nobody should watch this movie. I mean, like <laughs> even if you were slightly interested in watching this movie out of like the room kind of curiosity, not worth it. It's just going to make this guy more money. Yeah, hopefully we will talk any listeners out of watching this film. It's really atrocious. I was thinking this might be like too horrible of a film for even the how did this get made podcast. Like <laughs> I don't think I don't think someone with like a bigger following than us should be discussing this. I mean, what else have we covered that has been really bad that we've had to, like, hate watch for the show? I'm thinking specifically of Pod Save America. Um, We did our bad Christmas movies episode where we watched, like, I watched The Nutcracker and, like, Polar Express and The Santa Claus. Let me put it this way, though. Of this year's movies that I've seen so far, I saw a Medea Family Funeral, and it makes that movie look like fucking Mad Max Fury Road because (laughs) this is just, like... 
it's it's not even a movie. It's just literally just a guy talking to himself for a hundred minutes, a hundred of the longest minutes of your life. Okay, and again, we're going to like set up the whole plot for those of you who have no idea what the hell we're talking about. But I mean, towards the end of the movie, he's kind of going Gollum Smeagol. Like, like is are, are we to believe that Lokisha is, is some sort of? Uh, split personality of Joe's. It's a true psychological thriller. If this was like an actual movie, I would say maybe they're trying to set up some kind of satire on like the transracial, like the Rachel Dolezal kind of thing. And they obviously that was not the intention here. It was just some dude thinking like, oh shit, this needs a third act. And it was, it's disastrous. So let's, let's start at the beginning Lokisha I first got wind of this movie uh when the I guess description went viral and I agreed with people like Pat Oswalt in thinking oh this is like this is like a funnier die sketch or something this is this is not this can't possibly be a real feature film did you guys have that same sense that like, oh, this this can't possibly be real. This this premise that and I guess for the first time we will say the, the premise that a white middle aged man is trying to earn enough money to pay for his son's private school <laughs> by submitting a t- demo file to the local radio station in which he does an advice show playing a black woman character named Lokisha. Right off the bat, there's some funny elements. Obviously, the, he's getting into, I guess, the lucrative field of talk radio, which I guess all of us can attest to. Dan, do you have any, any insider talk on the uh, talk radio, I guess, world? Let's just say if I were to pitch a demo for a talk show at the successful radio station where I work, I would be paid $0 for it. <laughs> Like it's not yeah. like like it is not labor that is valued unless you already have an enormous following. So some schmuck who's like an un like I mean God guys like the the one of the first scenes he does this like cringy Gandhi voice. Oh my God! And that's how you know what you're in for. Absolutely, it's like two minutes in. This is his idea of what he's going to put in his fucking movie that he probably worked on for, like, years. In fairness to the whole idea of the radio station, though, like, you never see anybody at this radio station except for the person who owns it. So this could be, like, this, like, bumfuck nothing radio station that he's applying to that will take literally anyone. But it is in, like, Detroit, I guess. I assume that it's supposed to be, like, a wide circulation, like, radio show. And then later his profile does increase. I mean, that's, that's probably a big market. Either way, uh, my initial impression when I saw the description of it go viral was that it was sort of like a racist YouTube meme or video. I didn't think it seemed real either. It seemed sort of like a... I don't know. It's it's like the last man standing sitcom. It's like this uh, reactionary worldview prevent, presented in a self-serving film. Extreme divorce dad energy all over the place. I mean, yeah, his, the main character, literally his wife left him. <laughs> this whole movie is also just extremely masturbatory in that like everything this guy does goes completely right. And there's no yeah. like, he, he doesn't need to hide it. He doesn't need to kind of like, get himself out of any real pits. Everything he does from minute one to the last scene of this movie, everything serves to make him look good. Because of his divorced guy energy, it's very powerful. And when any black character comes into the movie, they, uh, and, and again, this film was written by, directed, and starring Jeremy Saville, not Jimmy Seville, who was the... Jesus Christ. <laughs> His Wikipedia comes up first if you Google Jeremy Seville Wikipedia. I think Jimmy Saville would have made a better movie than Jeremy Saville did with this one. I, I, I think you're definitely <laughs> correct. But um, Jeremy Saville, who wrote this character... I, I mean, I don't know how autobiographical it is, but I wouldn't be shocked if these were some of his like own anxieties, maybe he has like a, a son out there who he is trying to make this movie to get him into a private school. But he writes these like very 
self-serving black characters who their only purpose is to vindicate him for the ridiculously racist and absurdly unfunny shit he's doing. There's a literal line of dialogue that he wrote that is a black woman saying to him, you are a better black woman than me. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) Uh, Also, uh, just, uh, Matt, did you find the exposure very uncomfortable? Yeah, it was very, like... This is a problem I also have with a lot of Netflix shows sometimes that it's just so like cleanly (laughs) overlit to the point where it's just like sickening to look at and it just looks like a bunch of really shitty empty sets. There's even a point, I think, where that same woman I just talked about, she's in an audition to be the face of Loquisha or something like that. And she even comments on like, why like why would we have this in a place like this? And it seemed like the actress was talking about the low quality of the set that they used. Oh, yeah, that's funny. The, the meta commentary of that, that probably was unintentional on Seville's part. But it is like, I don't know, all these black characters are kind of just props. Like, I, I mean, the inexplicably written, what's her name, Rachel? The love interest. The love interest. Yeah. What? the fuck was that like why would this woman be attracted to this like prick bartender who's like lecturing her yeah this dude is <laughs> obviously like far too old for her and the thing that he does with every person that he talks to is just instantly sort of like a psychic or something like a tv psychic guess aspects of their life just by i guess judging them on first appearance and of course, he's always correct. This is because this is a fantasy written from a man's perspective, or you know, this guy's perspective. So obviously, the extremely tired trope of the you know bartender who knows everything about his customers or has seen every kind of person and knows the real truth is you know done ad absurdum in this fucking movie. But definitely the love interest with, uh, like you said, Rachel, who is played by Tiara Parker. It's extremely unbelievable just because he is absolutely, like you said, it's very well lit. And you can see all of the, I guess, old man dimples and like pock marks on his face. He's clearly much older and not attractive in any kind of conventional sense. But he's such a smooth talker. And by that, I mean like a hackily written like TV psychic that he wins her over. She's so impressed by the way he speaks, like he's thumbing through a dictionary to read random words, and she's like, you know, you give really good advice. Yo, and then at one point, she's trying to help him submit the demo to the radio station. They're trying to figure out, like, who is Joe? And then she says, Rachel says, who, again, Jeremy Saville wrote this black woman character to tell Joe that he is, quote, extraordinary, wise, gentle, and kind. Like, he is he is putting words in her mouth to, like, justify himself. It's like the biggest ego stroke ever to have other people say this about you playing a quote-unquote character. It's just embarrassing. And it gets even, like, ridiculous with the character Mason, played by Dwayne Perkins, where who's the guy that he hires to, like, help him pull off the scam of Loquisha. There's no stakes to this character. He just appears <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. No, at one point he literally says, uh, he being Jeremy Seville's character, literally says to Mason, like, what he's willing to pay him thirteen fifty an hour to help him run the Loquisha scam, which is, once again, like, making it, people convinced that he is a as a black you know a white guy is actually played you know a black woman in real life or something and he keeps saying that he has xenophobia and that's the reason he can't appear in front of the public which doesn't make sense he's talking about agoraphobia i think like xenophobia is just like fear of foreigners i did a double take i had to rewind it back i had no idea what they were talking about i i absolutely wrote that down as well that is the excuse that he first gives as Lokeisha to the like uh, dipshit uh, ra- old man radio station owner and his like son who's like we really need a hit you know it's like it's so <laughs> generic oh my god oh you mean uh, Bob Odenkirk's stunt double <laughs> yeah <laughs> But he specifically says to Mason when he's trying to hire him for literally, again, thirteen fifty an hour, he says a line of dialogue that is literally, that's more than you'll make hanging around here, here being the bar that he tends at. And it's just like, Jesus Christ. Like, it's written from just like a racist man's perspective. And this dude makes a lot of money, too. He ends up, he just shows up with like 
what, like 10 grand, I think, with uh, when he's paying for the private school. Yeah, he just hands his wife this like envelope of cash where that was when the whole logic of the movie fell apart for me because I was like, wait a minute, wouldn't the radio station have to pay him a W-2? Like, wouldn't they have to like tax his income? Why would they just hand Lokeisha like an envelope of cash without ever meeting her? Like, dude, they would find out your fucking identity. This is like this this the whole framework of the movie falls apart when you think about it the fact that anyone believes that his accent is actually a black woman is just so mind-boggling especially since it's set in detroit where a lot of black people live and it's just it, it's such a fantasy because he literally like people are just instantly convinced that his voice which i mean on a fundamental level we can critique he does not sound anything like a black woman the way he thinks he does not even a little bit. No, no. He sounds like a Southern white man at best. And the fundamental problem with the premise of this movie, and we're like, I'm not going to say there's any way to salvage this garbage, but like <laughs> the one thing about this movie that you could maybe tweak to make it almost kind of get like a quarter of the way there is instead of having him hide this the whole time, have this be like an open thing with the radio station and have it end up being successful, like the producers or something along that line where it's like, they're really trying to make it work, but like everyone's in on it. It's not just him trying to hide this shit because there's nothing that comes of that versus you can have some stakes. You can have something that actually happens in this movie where it's like, okay, we've tied up all the loose ends of how we're doing it legally. And, and from a logistics standpoint, now how do we hide it? And there's like actually some comedy to be had in that. Unfortunately, this movie was made by Jeremy Seville, who does nothing right. No, I mean, what what is his uh, history, Dan? I mean, I found a movie of his in 2012 called, like, The Test, and then apparently I think he was a writer or something on Modern Family. No, he wasn't. I think he showed up on Modern Family as, oh, like, okay. bartender or something. No, no, the, it's <laughs> in a 2017 episode called Basketball. His character is just called Husband. <laughs> Classic. That's hilarious. So, gentlemen, you know what they say. If Hollywood isn't giving you the roles you want, you got to write it and <laughs> make it yourself. Right, but in this universe that he created, the way that he overcomes mediocrity, and he is frequently, like, I'm not saying bartenders are mediocre in any way, but a frequent trope is that he's a bartender, that he's, like, low class or underachieving, which is, as I mean, insulting to bartenders, first and foremost. But also just, um, th he thinks that he can only be successful and once his initial podcast pitch or whatever talk radio show pitch is rejected he decides that he has to invent himself as a black woman because it's like easier to succeed for him in entertainment as a black woman or and specifically as like a black woman stereotype that is completely made up and self-serving he has, like, the worst blinders ever. He, like, doesn't look for any other job throughout the course of this movie. He just goes, like, hmm, what about this job that I already applied for? Let me just try to invent a whole character to, like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't add up whatsoever. The implication, obviously, is, oh, I'm clearly good enough, but yeah. the societal uh, limitations of what white men are allowed to do in 2019 is the only thing stopping me because I have this extreme talent. And, oh my God, like, you know, the woman he hires to play Lokeisha towards the end of the movie when he, like, quits after she tries to blackmail him, she sucks at being Lokeisha. So the implication is, oh, they would give yeah. this black woman this job even though the white man can be her better than she can. It's absolutely, like... It's insane. Uh, it's yeah. like some get-out shit. Definitely. And that character is Renee, played by Mara Hall, and she's like a super fan of Loquisha, who is, I mean, again, completely fooled by the voice. And to me, I was like, because they have scenes where she does interact with the press and the public, and she plays, you know, Loquisha in person, even though, obviously, on the radio, it is Jeremy Seville's character. And I'm like, how could you hear this, like, woman speaking and then hear Jeremy Seville speaking and think it was the same person? Like, it's just such a fundamental lapse in logic that I cannot believe this film. Not, not a single person questions it, although we also live in a world with uh, bad dubbed over dialogue, so maybe that's just normal in this world. I don't know if you guys caught the smartphones thing. Oh, yeah, I was, yes. uh, I was trying to fit that in somewhere, but I guess at one point he accidentally wrote in the script uh, iPhones, 
and they had to just do the worst dub job ever. <laughs> it literally is just the most embarrassing audio I've ever heard in a movie. It's literally, it's just two people saying iPhone dubbed over with the word smartphone. And the way that it's edited in, it, you, you're missing the first S of smartphone on one of them. And it sounds like he did both of them. Another thing on the audio side was definitely all the like Kickstarter music that was playing in the background. Oh my god, like the iMovie stock music. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I found on Jeremy Savile's Instagram a uh, extremely uncomfortable picture. And you can tell it's like so forced and like cropped and like zoomed in because clearly it's like a, a very rushed photo because Marlon Wayans is holding a microphone and wearing a suit in it so this must be some sort of like Q&A where Saville like ambushed him and said so this is on his Instagram with at Marlon Wayans at Lokeisha movie meet oh. white chicks have a great weekend everyone God, his Instagram is bizarre in general. If you scroll just past that, it's a fucking million selfies with disgusting filters, like a hot dog and like Edna mode, and like him with like a beard and a beanie. It's just fucking atrocious. The three most cursed words in the English language are Jeremy Seville's Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but like, isn't it insane that he thinks he has made something that stands up with white chicks? Which I I, yeah. I don't I don't want to speak about like my adult uh, opinion of white chicks because I haven't seen it since like I was like thirteen or something. But I imagine that Marlon would not like his film to be the like uh, original Lokeisha. That argument is like the argument that oh Dave Chappelle did whiteface, so why is it bad if I do blackface? Oh it's just like come on, <laughs> give me a fucking break. You gotta like. I don't know, look at this more clearly, I think. Okay, I'm looking at his Twitter, and it seems that Seville... Here's the tweet. Due to the intense interest in Lokeisha, we are releasing it now. This was on May 21st. We made a funny movie intended to uplift, and I think when you see it in its entirety, you will be pleasantly surprised. So in the spirit of laughter and love, here is Lokeisha. Um... And that, uh, along with many of his other tweets, are completely ratioed. Look, if every everybody's got a favorite movie, no matter how bad it is, like, if there's a really bad movie, somebody out there likes it. And that's something that I totally think is fine for the most part, except for this movie. If this is your favorite movie, move to space. I mean, just, just never watch anything again. <laughs> if you were to charitably read this, what is uplifting about this film? Because uplifting no. implies a certain, like, that he struggled or, like... Because, like we said, every obstacle in the film is completely barely an obstacle. He just brushes over it, yeah. Uh, the radio station owner and his son, a line I loved, was this, this idea that, like, the Lokeisha demo, which, like, anyone with half a brain could tell is, like, a white guy doing, like, an audio blackface... <laughs> The management of the station is like, she's going to get people talking. I just, I wrote that quote down and wrote, why? Like, what is, <laughs> what is original about this? As like a mass media product, has terrestrial radio, obviously the influence of it is dying, dying, dying. But it is funny how in this, in this movie, Saville even he throws in a dig at Howard Stern saying, like, even Stern's shitty now. And then oh towards God. the end of the movie, they compare the ending, um, you know, how the, the when the management finds out that he, Joe is playing Lokeisha, they compare it to a shitty M. Night Shyamalan movie. I'm like, Seville, you have no right to shit on M. Night Shyamalan. You're Jeremy Seville. I got a theory about this movie. I think this movie was written in the late 90s, early 2000s, and he dug it up because he needed to pay for a second mortgage. Because there's no way the, just radio in and of itself, the M. Night Shyamalan, the Howard Stern stuff, like just all the values of this movie don't add up except for the use of iPhones and or smartphones. There's really nothing in this movie that screams... 2019 but there but but matt there are tweets <laughs> because his mind is not in 2019 his mind is back in like whatever era he is like longing for i mean 
I guess there's a lot of like psychological elements of this film. Number one, his like pathological obsession with black women that comes up. I mean, he literally portrays one. He also, I guess, um, when he interviews the like black women to play Loquisha, they're all just like complete stereotypes. One of them is literally just jumping around. One of them offers to suck his dick. And then the third one is, um, I guess, the woman who ends up with the role, you know, Renee. But I guess there's a, and then when he is literally arguing with himself on air as Loquisha talking to Joe or whatever, it is him like wrestling with this fucking like bizarre obsession that he has with them or like whatever hold they have on him. And he even like when he is kissing the Rachel, the love interest, starts talking like Loquisha, like. I guess uh, involuntarily. Right. So it's, is this like a sexual a, thing? Like, what is it? Like, this? awakens it in him. Yeah. Well, he gets pulled over by a cop, too. A black, like a black cop. cop. The same thing happens where he's like, oh, how are you, officer? And then he goes into the voice. No, seriously. Uh, Matt, what did you make of that scene where a black cop let him off, even though he's doing this, like, Lokeisha voice? I think the actor just didn't want to be there and tried to shorten the scene as much as possible. Because. <laughs> There is no way that that scene, like, there's so many ways to even take that scene. Like, I'm just trying to come at this movie, like, with some kind of glimmer of hope that, like, maybe Jeremy Seville understands a little bit of satire. And every time I'm let down because, like, the whole power dynamic of this scene just amounts to nothing. And the cop doesn't even give him a ticket. He's just like, all right, have a good night, sir. It is devoid of irony, this whole movie. The... the oh my god I, I i just saw in my notes the scene that probably made me want to vomit the most well i don't know if sam made it this far but matt do you recall a certain scene where a woman calls in to Lokisha's Lokeisha, show oh, fuck me yeah i know exactly what you're talking is about about to jump off a bridge and Lokisha talks <laughs> This woman out of killing herself, and this line made me want to just punch my television. <laughs> are you gonna jump or are you gonna go to Paris? Oh my god. The whole idea is that, like, he, as Loquisha, tells her to, like, instead of killing yourself, like, you have so much to still experience, go to Paris and just, like, jump off the Eiffel Tower instead. <laughs> Right, this idea that as if like being suicidal is this like boutique problem that can be sold through just like buying products and experiences. There's nothing established about why this woman is out there on the bridge in the first place. She's just like generic suicidal <laughs> person. And so like his, he, he, his advice doesn't make any sense. She could be out there for like, let's say financial reasons that are, you know, really wearing at her soul. And he's just like, just go to Paris because he <laughs> comes from a place of privilege and money. He makes so much money doing this garbage that it doesn't mean anything to him. But there's no, like, like you said before, there's no irony to it at all. Right, and he uh, is obviously, you know, the conflict of this movie is that he can't afford to send his son to private school. I mean, you know, boo-hoo. But I guess uh, what was so funny to me watching this is it really kind of, this is such a weird comparison, but it reminded me of Venom because he sort of fuses <laughs> with the symbiote, which is his Loquisha voice, and it starts talking back to him, which happens in the movie Venom with Tom Hardy, you know, best movie of 2018. But uh, either way, it just builds to this point where it's like am i watching like a trying to watch some kind of like hacky psychological thriller but it's written off as a comedy but he literally has these like bizarre supernatural abilities it's like he's only able to reach this many people and he always talks about how much he's helping people and how like the benefit of his show is that he helps people it's such a bizarre thing like what his just infectious my wife left me boomer dad like sar sarcastic bartender energy channeled through a black woman's voice as this like magical force for the city of Detroit. It just is so preposterous by the end. My favorite thing is that ultimately the son does not give a shit that he's paying for his private school. He could not care less. <laughs> right. He, he, the son absolutely detests his father. Real boomer energy. His son is also like just as smart as he is with like big words and like he's, he's like a 10 year old kid. It just doesn't make any sense that like, oh, he's in a school for the gifted. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the whole movie is based around. And I think we're supposed to 
like I think the film is telling us to think Joe is cool, but his wife is like a dumb bitch. And <laughs> his wife who gets like eight lines of dialogue throughout the whole movie. Which is just nagging him about his kid. Yeah. <laughs> I just have a note saying he is so with a million O's divorced. And he also, like, more of the psychological element that I think we're discussing now, a lot of characters throughout, and mostly black characters, because I think he has some, you know, preconceived notions about black people, ask him if he's gay when they start to find out about, like, the charade he's been keeping up. They're like, is this oh some kind God. of transgender, transracial shit? <laughs> and I'm like, why? What just everyone say, says? I couldn't believe my ears when I heard that line, <laughs> just, like, throwing in all those buzzwords there. Yeah, I had a lot of opportunity to scream during this. Okay, I do have a psychosexual reading of the Lokeisha character. I think that, especially in the scene where, like, he and Rachel start to get intimate, that he is breaking into these, screaming these lines uh, in the Lokeisha voice because, ultimately, like this film, he's trying to fuck He wants to have sex with himself. Yep. Even the cover of the movie is him, I guess, putting like unveiling under this mask, which is I feel so bad for the actress who played Renee. It looks like that scene in Total Recall where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger pops out of the the woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does look like that. But he, it's about him being like inside of a black woman who is just the one in his own head. It's very fucking disgusting. (laughs) I could not suspend the disbelief the idea that in just like a couple of months what is the timeline of this because wouldn't the tuition need to be paid like up front (laughs) so there's that element of it so like how long would why am i trying to logic out that's just divorce that's divorce dad energy though that's what i'm trying to say he uh you know he's like you already paid for the private school with like your own job and you have a nice apartment and shit but uh hey i got you i got you back (laughs) but (laughs) the idea that a terrestrial radio audience (laughs) would be diverse and young is that not your experience dan like the the shots we see of like i I mean there's like a prisoner and a prison guard (laughs) A pr- like the the audience of terrestrial radio is extremely extremely elderly. Matt and I have experience in this. Uh, we were on oh, yeah. terrestrial radio in Binghamton, New York, so we know the the listeners are fucking elderly. The thing is, too, is that it's implied that when when he first starts out doing this show as Loquisha, he's taking over for like Metal at Midnight, which has no <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Right, and they say they don't have any talk programming on the station. So they're going to do it at at midnight, 12 a.m. Which, in even uh, at a station like Sirius XM, I- I'll tell you something right now. Generally, the midnight is a fucking replay. So I doubt people are fucking tuning into this like bizarre like AM or FM <laughs> show where this woman... I, I just don't buy the idea that this format of the like personal advice show could ever be viable anymore. Okay. So the the one person who listens to this, who is of that demographic is elderly is the main character's mom. And his mom (laughs) instantly has like the weirdest reaction when she's like, you should call into Loquisha to talk about your problems. And his, his problem is obviously that he can't stop doing the Loquisha voice because he has these psychosexual issues. And um, when he instantly seems like, you know, hesitant about going on the show, she's like, Oh, are you a racist, sexist, misogynist? And she goes like full SJW on him. I was like this this is really coming from like a delusional place oh my and god he, he being who he is it doesn't make sense that his mother would be like that i just don't <laughs> buy that wait a minute i also wanted to point out a line that lokeisha said literally the quote after all these years white people are the slaves oh my, oh my god. god fuck that what are we to make of that um matt uh give your impression first like that is like seville just just really giving his social commentary of 2019 right i think what happened here is that jeremy seville went to go see sorry to bother you (laughs) and he was like you know who could use this movie white people (laughs) (laughs) 
Dan, that is such a that comparison is just ruining my brain right now. <laughs> because in uh, Sorry to Bother You, for I guess the listeners you aren't familiar with it, you know the black main character does a white voice to succeed, and this is I guess the the inverse of that in a very fucked up way. It's like he ran the script for that movie through like an inverted color filter. <laughs> oh, I found I found the son hates his dad line from before the, the, in my notes. Um, guys, uh, his son obviously a gifted student with witty lines like that smartphone is making you stupid oh. <laughs> 2019 uh. <laughs> yeah this whole thing is dad jokes don't you think this is the kind of movie like michael scott would make <laughs> yeah oh my god absolutely i don't know i it really like hurt to watch this movie because you just want to sit Seville down and like tell him all the reasons why this shouldn't have been made. And it's just a terrible piece of work and is unsalvageable. I do have one, I have one positive to note and I'm using the word positive as loosely as at all possible. (laughs) Um, There is a very refreshing, and I guess because it is a 2019 release, refreshing lack of slurs throughout this movie. True. Which is shocking to me, considering the premise of this movie. The fact that Lokisha, and by extension Joe, is not dropping soft A N-words, that's <laughs> progress. <laughs> I mean, but there is this element to it that I think you're touching on that is that I think this movie thinks it's woke or something. It feels like it's supposed to be like a commentary on race or something. Matt, wouldn't you say that's especially true of the, the ending? Oh, which which part of the ending? Insofar as he, well, let's let's just let's say it. Oh, you're talking about the the Facebook poll yes. where he. Uh, <laughs> so the ending of this movie is yeah, because I don't he, know how this ends. Lay, lay it on he me. He goes he goes on air and he confesses that he is Loquisha as <laughs> Joe, and he's like, "If you don't want me to be on the air, that's fine. But I'd love to keep doing this show either as myself or as this character." And he puts up a Facebook poll of like, which of these three options should I do? And 20% say he should leave the radio. And then the rest of the vote is evenly split, (laughs) completely (laughs) evenly split between him doing his own show and him doing the show as Loquisha. So what ends up happening is he does like, let's say he is a two hour block. He'll do one hour as Joe and he'll be like, all right, Loquisha, what do you got for us? And he goes and does the voice of Loquisha. Everyone finds out and they don't give a shit because he's just so (laughs) talented. It's fucking bananas. People are sheep, man. You can just feed them whatever slop you want. I love the idea that the local news would be covering, like, there's this talk radio show that's sweeping the nation. (laughs) Okay, also, we haven't even mentioned the big celebrity cameo who isn't actually in the movie but is featured in an email. Um, Lokeisha is so popular that Oprah Winfrey... <gasps> sends an email offering Lokeisha a TV show on the Come OWN on. network. I love that scene because of all people to reach out to him from the Oprah Winfrey network, <laughs> it's Oprah herself. Personally, as if Oprah is a fan of the show. Oprah is sitting in her mansion in Chicago or wherever she lives, listening to a terrestrial show in Detroit, I don't know. I don't know. I just wish they actually got Oprah for that because that would have really been the icing on the cake for me. I mean, there's just, once again, this theme that this white man doing, like, very uh, bad, like, African-American vernacular English can, I guess, convince Oprah that she should personally email him and has just, like, this magical quality. Another thing I loved, uh, did you catch the just horrible extras in the scene where Lokeisha gets out of a car or like the actress, the actress that Joe hires to be like the body double for Lokeisha that like the, the fanboys, it was some of like the worst oh acting God. I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I remember multiple like white guys with long hair. <laughs> yeah. They looked like fucking like Iron Maiden fans. They were probably fans of metal at midnight who got converted to being fans <laughs> of the Lokeisha show. Good Lord. So why do you think women are attracted to Joe, Sam? I mean, this is uh, obviously a fantasy. So the reason is just because once, you know, these women finally get to know him and like talk to him, 
then he is able to like woo them with his straight talk or convince them what to do with their lives. And I mean, this is just a massive argument in favor of men of this age who are trying to talk to like younger women because, you know, their wives left them or whatever. And, uh, it's a big argument for them that they should be allowed to talk to these women because I guess uh, it'll have this magical therapeutic quality for, for, to them. It's really ridiculous. Now, Sam, I know you didn't see the end of this movie, but in the last minute of this movie, we have... So this this love interest character of his disappears from the screen for like 40 minutes. <laughs> She's just gone. <laughs> and then she... Awful. She shows back up. The person, wasn't she the one who gave him the listing for the job at the radio station? 100%. She, like, told him that, like, radio stations exist or something. <laughs> yeah. She is the driving force of why this movie occurs. And she disappears and she comes back. And she comes back at the very end and they're in this, like, cheap alley set outside of his apartment, I guess. And she's just, like, pissed at him about this revelation, about how, you know... How could you, you know, trick me and trick me by just shitting on my identity? And then he says, I love you. And she's like, I was going to say that. And then they start making out. <laughs> it was dis- and, and it looked like he had never made out with a woman before. Oh, it looked no. like she was just suffering through this shoot. I felt so bad for all the black actors in this movie. Uh, Dwayne Perkins is a is a funny comedian and comedy writer, so it's a bummer that he he uh, you know got stuck in this role. But I love the part where the actress he hires to play Lokeisha is uh, ready to blackmail him, taking seventy percent of the Lokeisha profits. And oh. I wrote this down. I I think it was Joe that said it. Matt, maybe correct me on this, but he said. It was never about race or gender or fame or fortune. It was about truth without fear of being wrong or bad. Is that like the thesis of this movie? The whole thing too with how this like fake Loquisha that they hire is not very good at being Loquisha. It's just so strange because they play it like he is giving genuine advice. He's giving it from kind of like... uh not mean-spirited she's the one being mean-spirited and he's the one kind of doing it like a ribbing kind of way like he's making fun of them but he's also giving them good advice and it's just like what kind of message is that like he does a better job at, at this than she possibly ever could like she's sitting there in the studio watching him do this and picks up on none of what he's doing the entire time as a fan of the show it's it's mind-bogglingly fucking stupid. It's not even a finished movie. There's literally, like we said, a rendering error just hanging out in the last 30 seconds of this movie. For our non-filmmaker like filmmaker people, Matt, can you explain what like a rendering error is and what it looks like in this? So the very basic breakdown is that when you're editing a movie, you have all different video clips of each take, of each angle, whatever it is, cobbled together into a final cut. And when you make any kind of changes to the color grading of it, the the look of it whatsoever, any kind of edits to it whatsoever, you have to render it so that those changes you make get applied to the video content that you're putting together. And in this case, there's a shot just hanging out there that they completely forgot to do that, and it shows up in the final cut, and my jaw hit the fucking floor. Oh. I mean, why wouldn't you cut around it? Do you think that nobody did a spot check on on the final file? I mean, as I said, this is not a real movie. And I mean, I'm glad you brought up, you know, it's uh, wrong to get down on any of the black actors who showed up in this. To the contrary, you should give, I guess, Mara Hall, Tiara Parker and Dwayne Perkins jobs because they should not be subjected to this. This is not a real movie. I mean, it's like a YouTube racist right wing video more than anything to the point that it does have these basic errors and the entirely self-serving dialogue. So, I mean, that's the kind of film you're dealing with here. Can I point out the tagline is sometimes you need to be someone else to find out who you really are. But like what journey of discovery does Joe go on other than being awesome and finding out from every 
fucking source of validation that he's awesome throughout the movie. He also basically just invents a therapist, which is like, okay, so maybe you should just go to therapy, dude. That might have solved the whole fucking problem of this movie. Um, the tra- The trailer came onto YouTube on May 11th, and there was obviously this backlash, uh, the cultural appropriation, the stereotypes, the racism in the movie. Um, Seville apparently tweeted the Marlon Wayans photo in an order to combat the, I guess, allegations that he was racist. It's okay. I have a black friend. No, I, not, oh. it, not, not even that far. I got a picture with a black guy once. and then wayans actually responded to this saying he hates when people tag me in their bullshit is it's annoying as fuck (laughs) dude in in the picture he's clearly like who the fuck are you like where am i why are you taking a picture of me he's not like i don't know (laughs) he's not a willing participant he's not like this is my buddy here jeremy seville when the guy behind the movie a haunted house is pissed off that you're trying to (laughs) include him in your marketing you know you fucked up and I think we need to talk about the controversy around the San Luis Obispo Film Festival. Now, this was some really funny, like, local film drama that uh, unfolded on Twitter when the trailer came out because uh, Seville used the laurels, uh, you know, implying that it had been, like, a film festival selection uh, in the trailer from this San Luis Obispo Film Festival, the festival tweeted, it was never selected, screened, or given an award at our festival. My theory here is that he didn't know that was an actual film festival. He just put words together thinking like, oh, no one will ever look into this. And then he happened to stumble upon an actual film festival. I mean, I think we're to think that he definitely did like funding for this himself. And he tried to imply that there was some sort of critical praise where there has been absolutely none. There's nothing positive to say about this movie from a movie standpoint. Even just brushing aside the message of this movie, lack thereof, and just the the quality of this movie is just so poor. I hesitate to even compare it to something like The Room or something like Birdemic because this is, like, there's no effects in this movie. It's just literally a camera sitting on a guy talking to himself for 15 minutes at a time. Not to mention the, like, atrocious stock photos of Detroit and, like, the beginning and stuff. I don't think that this is the kind of thing where it's gotten talked up so much that everyone's watching it because there's, like, no... There's no audience score. There's no user reviews. There's no critics' reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. There's no real reason to watch this movie. It is just nothing happens in this movie right it's 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 just gonna be like a wet fart that gets made fun of on a few podcasts like ours i don't know what do you think this film says about 2019 america and the sort of reactionary politics of a lot of men of jeremy savile's age um sam do you think like ultimately I found this movie to be very much in line with the sort of political stories we like to talk about on the show. No, for sure. It definitely is. I mean, it's also in our wheelhouse because it is about podcasting in a way, but I guess the thing that stuck out to me the most about this movie was really how much of a, I guess uh, vic- white man victimhood worldview that it espouses which is something that we make fun of a lot conservatives love to say that they are i guess uh you know the only people who are unwilling to play the victim and they persevere and shit when of course all their social media for uh, you know conservative outlets is about being victimized currently they're all upset about like i guess tories in the uk getting milkshakes thrown at them which you know is the least that should happen to some of these people but either way um at the end of the day, this is really just a movie that confirms that worldview. It really does take place in sort of like a fantasy and particularly in the fantasy world of this, you know, angsty, I guess, middle-aged man. And it's a truly kind of shocking watch. I mean, it's sort of like the other propaganda videos that I compared to earlier, you know, things like Prager U videos or things that confirm that they're also self-serving and they confirm this kind of fucked up worldview that, you know, demonizes people who aren't people who look like them or 
you know, come from the same backgrounds as them. And it's, it's just at the end of the day, pretty shocking that this is like out in the world. Like you can watch this for free on Amazon prime. Not to say that Amazon prime is free of, you know, bad content. The right, I think always wants to pretend that their sort of entertainment is this like bulletproof masculinity, um, (laughs) that it sort of validates their worldview. So, to think that this is the kind of entertainment that these these guys uh, have, like this is the quality of shit that they make, it's kind of hilarious. The right can't meme, folks. <laughs> Going back to something that you said earlier about like this uh, being an attempt at being woke almost to some minor degree from the little that you can actually gather from this movie. I mean, as a white man, I'm pretty unqualified to, you know, have the definitive take on this movie by any means. But what I really get from this movie, other than if you if you kind of strip away the basic conceit of this movie, is that just white people aren't paying any attention to anything that's going on in 2019. Yep. Yeah, completely oblivious to, like, if it's a movie about entering the spaces of black people are like entering like the the mind of a black person he doesn't like come to grips with any of the adversity that black people face like for example it's portrayed as like cute when he does uh his racist voice to a black cop it's not like subversive it's just like weird like he literally profits off of of fake black person's voice i mean it's like imaginary cultural appropriation on you know a financial scale i mean there's like actual material gains there it's pretty fucked up and there's no kind of irony of that like oh he is someone who could give a voice to a black person as someone who's coming from a place of privilege and instead he's doing the voice of a black person it's like there's there's just nothing to it. There's no. It's like Jeremy Seville has no idea that this is even something that could be talked about in 2019. And it's a complete dismissal of black people and the way they talk, the things that they talk about. It's all just this like minstrel show that he <laughs> can use to buy himself bougie shit, like private school education for his child son child son is that that's uh, for his child son like child bride (laughs) i like (laughs) i like that but uh either way um one last thing that i have is that speaking of this film entering spaces with black people in them or black people seeing this movie um when i was watching this uh my girlfriend is black and we live together and she came out as i was watching it and it was worse than being like walked in on while watching porn or something like that <laughs> I, had, I like instantly turned it off i was like no, no 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 and that's why i mean i just i i had to cut it short because it was it's just too much. It can't be real. I mean, it's so disturbing. And I feel bad for introducing it to her uh, uh, memories, I guess. I feel bad for any single person who watches this movie, regardless of, of their identity. Anyone watching this movie, especially black people, I feel like. just It's just such an embarrassing moment in history. If you look at Jeremy Seville's Twitter, the banner is the worst Photoshop job I've ever seen. And I, uh, you know, for a living, literally, like, evaluate comedy albums and comedy specials. And I determine, part of my job is determining which channel, and you know, if at all, tracks from comedy albums go on the serious channels. And when I see a, like, comedian whose album artwork is this shoddy and like terribly photoshopped it's like a new york city night backdrop with his name with like microsoft word like word art um jeremy seville seriously funny comedy anyone who says in their album title the words like like very funny guy (laughs) it's always the (laughs) biggest dog shit like that is the kind of way they package their comedy. I mean, how else would you know that he was funny? Funny man filmmaker is how he starts his bio. <laughs> I think the actual, the the copyright of this movie goes to a company called like The Best Movie LLC or something like that. <laughs> oh. Hold on, hold on. At Jeremy Seville, his bio. 
funny man filmmaker. Let's laugh until our head explodes. Well, Jeremy, I don't think we laughed, but our head had definitely exploded. Well, that's why he has the disclaimer, because otherwise there's no way you would pick up on the fact that this is supposed to be a comedy. Like, he's gone out of his way to say, like, I intended this to be like a lighthearted, funny comedy film. And they're like, well, it does espouse a pretty uh, political worldview, buddy. The whole joke is what is ultimately made to sell tickets, or at least in this case, just clicks and online views. But there's just nothing else to it besides that and all that you can get from the fucking trailer. There's nothing. If you watch the trailer for this movie, you have seen this movie. So what does he think he has to say that's more important than the minute and a half of him doing the minstrel show bit? The trailer was like when a guy says, I know this is racist, but... And then the movie is like if you stick around to hear what the person's going to say after that. (laughs) Absolutely true. Now, um... Before we go, I want to shout out Matt's uh, great podcast uh, that he hosts with uh, our friend Caroline Orlin. It is called Co-Pilots. And if you're someone like me who enjoys like failed like television and failed projects, like you have amassed quite a collection of episodes of some of the shittiest like media properties of all time. And I just listened today to your episode about the McDonald's VHS series. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I owned that. I owned that videotape. I did too. Talk about the um the McDonald's film that you talked about on your podcast because I just I want people to know that uh, there is analysis of this weird cultural artifact out there. First of all, your use of the word film is probably the best thing anyone's ever said about this thing. <laughs> Dan's very respectful. Well, what is it? So so basically, McDonald's had this thing where, like, we have, I think it was the company that makes Rugrats. Like, we have them in our pocket to make this animated show for us. And we totally could try to get it on TV, but nobody's going to watch this. So let's sell these videotapes for, like, four bucks a piece in McDonald's with Happy Meals. And they're just like 30-ish minute specials of Ronald McDonald and the various McDonald's characters, of which there are a lot, as it turns out. The whole canon is huge. It's not just like Hamburglar and Grimace. Can you give me some of the deep cuts? Oh, there's a massive rogues gallery to McDonald's. It's crazy. Who were some of the characters that showed up in, in that thing? Well, one one thing I've noticed is that there are three characters who are literal McNuggets. <laughs> Living, breathing Chicken McNuggets. <laughs> Every line of dialogue for them is just like, kill me. It's like a farm animal that's being raised for slaughter, like because <laughs> McRonald is like their roommate, right? Yeah, they can't walk or anything, right? No, they walk around, they have beaks. <laughs> They're like half chicken, half chicken McNugget. It's fucking terrifying. <laughs> And there's also one character I think was invented for this series just so they could have like some character for which children can identify is like this like random girl who kind of hangs around with them, this human girl. Because Ronald McDonald's not human. He's a fucking clown. Like that's not a human <laughs> yeah. being. Oh, am I wrong in remembering that it starts out in this live action Ronald McDonald and I think you said like Vern Troyer plays the dog. Oh yeah, big time. <laughs> but only his body, not his voice. Yeah, his voice is, it, it sounds like, you mentioned Michael Scott earlier. It sounds like, Toby from The Office, but I, I don't know. It's some random guy voicing this dog, this depressed dog. Oh, God. And, um, but it, it, like, but doesn't Ronald McDonald jump into this, like, shoot where he gets spat out as a cartoon, but like a child version of himself? I think it's implied that they all do because early in this movie, I hesitate to say, they, they're talking over this, like, equivalent of Skype where they're saying, they're saying, like, oh, we're gonna go camping. It'll be a lot of fun. And then they, and then he jumps through a tube with his dog and turns into 2D animation, even though he was live action in this previous segment. So I have to imagine they all did that. All these CG characters, in order to go camping, had to turn themselves 2D for li- literally no reason. <laughs> I really enjoyed the, uh, the episode of your podcast about that. And I would Thank recommend you. anyone who likes this show to check out Co-Pilots. Uh, any other notable series that you've taken a look at on the show? Well, I, first I'll say that Like you mentioned, my show is primarily about failed TV shows and just generally bad TV shows that didn't make it past the season. So, you know, so doing something like Loquisha on a podcast is like right up my wheelhouse here. 
where it's just talking about something that's just like irredeemably terrible. And on the topic of irredeemably terrible, there is the 2004 reboot of Mr. Ed. Oh no. I can't really, there's not too much to say without giving it away, but it is a must watch. Mr. Ed says some wild sexist shit in that show. So it's a talking horse, right? 100%. (laughs) I think I also saw that you did the Napoleon Dynamite animated series. (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't believe that was real. I couldn't believe my eyes as I watched that show. I definitely watched it like for an episode or two when it first premiered and was like this. Because they got the original voice act. They got the original actors to do the voices, right? Yeah, something. I think they got everyone from the movie, which like, what were they doing really? What was, what was uh, what the John fuck's his name? The guy, John Heater. <laughs> what was he doing really? He was he was just off of what? Like School for Scoundrels? What movies was he possibly making? Yeah, I think other than School for Scoundrels and Blades of Glory, he kind of fell off the face of the earth because he got very like into like his evangelical religion or something. So he doesn't like to do any kissing scenes and stuff like that. I think he's like renounced a lot of his old work work well dan you're forgetting his masterpiece the bench warmers of which there is a sequel that came out last year what i think there was a sequel that came out last year and i'm struggling to remember who was in it other than lachlan monroe if you can remember who that is let me know no uh, i guess uh they couldn't get spade and rob schneider too (laughs) or john lovitz oh my so do you think grimace should apologize for appearing in those commercials with trump in the 80s Oh my god! Anyone who's done anything with Trump in the '80s should be should be apologizing left and right. They should make new animated movies where Grimace apologizes. Grimace gets like me tooed because him and Trump like. Oh, oh I don't want to. I don't want to go any further with this. Are we going to be the first podcast to cancel Grimace? <laughs> I, I genuinely hope so. We talk on the podcast a little, I'll I'll give a little away here. We talk about how um, it's confusing to me that Grimace is in the shape of a chicken McNugget. And we posit that his meat, if it existed in the real world, would be worth buying. He's like a radioactive McNugget. Right. I think any of us would be enriched by Grimace meat. (laughs) If someone handed me a burger and it was... Grimace meat, and they were like, give me 10 bucks, I'll give you this Grimace meat. I wouldn't say no. Yeah, that sounds more appealing than, like, duck. (laughs) I don't know. You should go to, like, a McDonald's focus group and talk about this. (laughs) Yeah, those, uh, you know, just make the patties purple. All right, um, guys, any final, final, final thoughts on Lokeisha? I just want to say to our fans, don't watch it. We have done the work here to give you a way more entertaining experience and it is a half hour shorter than the film this podcast like i said before i was comparing this in terms of bad movies i've seen this year i was comparing this to a medea family funeral which has a lot of the same problems in a just cinematic sense of it's tyler perry pointing a camera at a bunch of people talking him talking to himself very similar and nothing really happens But the difference for me is that if someone watches a Medea family funeral and they get a couple laughs out of it and they say they enjoyed it, yes, that movie is setting cinema back a bit, but it's not setting society back in a way that Loquitia is. And anyone who likes Loquitia, it's just, I don't under, I can't comprehend from what point someone watches this movie and goes, this movie inspired me, or this movie really, like, this is something I can recommend to people. There's nothing to recommend here, even on a bad movie level. I love bad movies. I've seen so many horrible, horrible movies, and there's nothing, there's nothing that elevates this beyond a guy talking to himself, like, just jerking himself off on camera. Especially since it's, like, comparing it to Tyler Perry, I mean, he's a white guy. And also the, uh, I don't know, like Tyler Perry movies originally were like made with a a black audience in mind. Whereas this, the audience for this, I don't really want to meet at all. (laughs) These are the people who subscribe to the Fox News streaming service. They have to be. I don't understand who else would watch this movie (laughs) non-ironically. Well, hopefully no one does, but uh, yeah, I mean... Definitely listen to our episode about it because it's uh, it's very fun. Jeremy Seville, his crimes aren't as severe as Jimmy Seville, but I would give him an equal punishment. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> uh, Matt, uh, any plugs for you? 
Uh, not much besides listen to co-pilots. That's my show where we talk about just bad TV, TV that doesn't last past a season. Sometimes we hit gold. Sometimes it's just like Loquisha. It's just kind of unwatchable. So it's a lot of fun. And yeah, definitely highly recommend that you guys check that out if you liked what I had to say about this garbage fire of a movie. And uh, again, I uh, I endorse uh, the uh, recent McDonald's film episode. Terrence Malick's The Adventures of Ronald McDonald. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's uh, <laughs> Ronald McDonald Goes Camping. Yeah, that was a real last movie he made, uh, not Eyes Wide Shut. It was the McDonald's movie live action segment. I think it's overdue for a gritty <laughs> reboot. It has to be. Um, you can follow me at Spaventacular and uh, Sam at Wagstank and always at plunge underscore podcast we're gonna try to uh shit post more on that account uh sam's been uh sam uh sam had a nice one at bill crystal the other uh the other day yeah i mean you got to take down any of these uh figures that think they can post online and not encounter some level of trolling all right uh, and that'll do it for us um now, uh, after this program, please please stay tuned for my demo tape uh, for my new radio show. Uh, I have a, a character named D- Dan Nisha. That's almost a real name compared to Loquisha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be actually a name. I mean, Dan, I'm buying a bus ticket to come up to New York and stop you from doing that. But uh, to the listeners, definitely do all the stuff that Dan said and follow us on all the stuff. Oh, yeah, and rate us on uh, iTunes because we always need ratings because we want to be more critically acclaimed than the 2019's Loquisha. And uh, once again, thank you, Matt, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. I had a lot of fun here, guys. Cool. All right. That'll do it. Goodbye. Goodbye.